this week is Parashat B'Shalach. Now really the theme of the Parashah is about the fact how God took us out of Egypt, split the sea for us and took care of us. And really that would be what should be the theme of this week's class. The only problem is I feel like we did a lot of that in the book of Bereshit. And so therefore we try to find a subject beneath the subject to discuss this week. And what I'd like to look at during this class is why do we, it seems, that almost everybody, maybe it's generalization, but a lot, you're already upset? (laughs) Oh, okay. Is that for some reason there's a certain pleasure that people get out of knocking somebody else. Whether it's talking about somebody, whether it's in front of somebody just kidding around and making fun of the other person. But there's a certain pleasure that we get. If sometimes, you know, if we hear that a friend of ours is, did something, something really wrong, and we had a chance now to tell our sister, we're like a little excited. Wow, you heard she did this. She you got horrible. What a disaster. Do you believe she did it? Do you believe? No, I think there's a. Am I generalizing? Are we good? We're good. It's true. It's true about almost anybody in any area. That for some reason we get a enjoyment over the. Over a little putting down, again, we all work on it, but we still get an enjoyment somehow, for some reason, over sometimes putting down other people. And so I'd like to look, believe it or not, in somewhere in this week's parasha, there is a message towards that. The Jewish people are about to go into the Yamsuf. Right? The sea is going to split, and they are going to enter into the sea and come out free on the other side. One of the greatest miracles in history of our people. And it says, Gemara has an interesting discussion in, so, in Sota about, excuse me, Sanhedrin, about this story, about this event. And the Gemara says that that night, the angels wanted to sing. The angels wanted to sing because God is now splitting the sea and taking the Jewish people through the sea. Is finally, after 210 years, taking the Jewish people out of bondage and they're going to be totally free. And so they wanted to sing. They wanted to sing because the Egyptians, the horrible, evil, vicious Egyptians are finally going to be destroyed. They wanted to sing. The Gemara says, Pasuk says, Pasuk says, they did not get near each other all night. Which literally means... The Egyptians and the Jewish people never came close to each other all night. All night they stood sort of in place, and then the next day they went into the sea. But the Gemara says, no, it's not referring to the Jews and the Egyptians. is referring to the angels. That the angels were not allowed to sing all night. Gemara says, why not? And Gemara explains, because God said, Maseh Yadai Tov'im Bayam. My creation is now being swallowed in the sea. And you're going to sink. My creation right now, 
They're my creation. Yes, they're the Egyptians, but they're my creation. Yes, they're evil. Yes, they're vicious. Yes, they did horrible things for decades and centuries. It doesn't matter. They're my creation. When my creation is drowning in the sea, you don't sink. So the, every commentary there is comments immediately on this Gemara and says, what do you mean? The Jewish people a day later are going to sing the most famous song in our history, Az Yashir. is in this week's parasha, Az Yashir, Moshe, Moshe and the Jewish people sang all about the Egyptians getting destroyed. So what do you mean you can't sing? The Gemara says you could, that, that the angels couldn't sing and yet the Jewish people could sing. And like I said, this is discussed in many, many different books and commentaries. And in fact, there's a halakha that's based on this that we do not say a full halal. We do not say a full halal on this last day of Pesach. And therefore, on a lot of Pesach, because on that day the Egyptians drown, and when the enemy, even the God's creation is drowning in the sea, we don't sing. This is to this day. This year, on Pesach time, on the seventh day of Pesach, where on almost every other holiday we say a full Hallel, that day we will not. Why? Because God's creation is drowning in the sea. And when God's creation is drowning, we don't sink. So again, the commentary is asking again, well, how come the Jewish people did? And so their answer is that... Yes, God has to destroy the Egyptians. Yes, it's great that God destroyed the Egyptians. And yes, we're happy that God destroyed the Egyptians. But let's say, for example, if you had a family member, God forbid, who was going through a surgery. The family member was going through a surgery, and what they have before the surgery was something that was very serious, but... The prognosis is very good. That once they take the surgery, it's almost 100% that they're going to be fine, they're going to be healed, they're going to be great. So basically this surgery is a great day. Because on the day of this surgery, they're going to go from being sick to being almost totally cured. Did you ever see anybody in the waiting room jumping up and down and singing and dancing while their father's getting a surgery? Never happened. Even though it's a great day. It's an unbelievable day. Because on that day, their father is going to be healed. Yesterday he was sick. Tomorrow he's going to be better. So today is a great day. But no one ever sings on that day. Because while you're doing the operation, there's pain, there's, it's hard, it's an ordeal. You're praying, you're not singing and dancing. Even though it's almost 100% it's going to be fine. You're still not getting singing on that moment. It's a painful experience and therefore you're not singing. The same thing is true is that while the Egyptians... We're in the sea. It's not something we're happy about. You know, once it's over and the event is done, then we can sing. And so once it was all done and all the Egyptians were killed and all the Jewish people were saved, they sang Az Yashir. But on that night, while it was about to happen, you don't sing. And so therefore, on that night, the angels, God told the angels, don't sing. Because while it's happening, it's not something that you celebrate. Once it's over... You can sing about it. But while it's happening, you don't. Just like during the operation, you're not singing. Afterwards, a few days later, when he's out and he looks better and he starts to open his eyes and he starts to be vibrant again, he starts to eat, then you may be singing or making a party, welcoming back home. But while it's happening, you don't sing. While something is going on that's causing someone else pain, even if they deserve it, and it's a great thing that is happening to them. It's not something that you sing about. And so you see how far our Torah goes to care about what 
taking place in someone else when you think a little about someone else while they're going through what they're going through let's say something a mistake they made or something bad they did or maybe if someone who you always felt you're happy that they got a little back in their face for a change they deserved it for years and you've been waiting for this moment that they got in trouble for all the horrible things they did God says the most horrific people may be in the history of the Jewish people and our greatest enemy when they're being destroyed, we don't get excited. So before we even get into the class and why it happens and why we do it, you see how far God goes that even your enemy, even a vicious enemy, someone who is the prototype of the enemy of the Jewish people, when they're being harmed and when they're being going through suffering, we don't rejoice. As a famous Mishnah B'Kehavu, it says, B'nefol o'yvecha al-tismach. When your enemy is falling, don't rejoice. Don't be happy. And so it's clear that even, you know, you say your enemy maybe means someone who you just didn't get along with so well. Your enemy means even Paro and all his Egyptians who whipped us, who threw our babies into the, uh, into the sea, who killed our babies, who put us through pain and suffering. Even those people, when they're getting punished, we don't rejoice. When someone else is going through hardship, we don't enjoy it. So my question is, why do we? What do we get out of it? Why do we naturally seem to like it? Why do we naturally seem to like want to talk about it? It's not big news. You're not all. I mean, we get excited when good things happen, but we definitely sometimes inside get excited when bad things happen to other people. People maybe we're competing against, or maybe people we don't like, or people we think get us nervous, people we think deserve it. But why do we? enjoy it so much and I think the answer is not really so much that we're really bad people and we really like to see other people in pain I think that in some way it makes us look better and we're happy about the fact that someone else who maybe was ahead of us on whatever ladder we think is the ladder someone who was a little ahead of us or maybe had it a little better than us when they have some pain and they suffer a little bit, it makes us feel good. That You know, it's someone who looks, the best thing we love to hear is someone who looks like his life is great, and then you hear it's not so great. It's like, ah, you know what, because there may be, you know what, if I have a little hardship, it's good. They, they, you know what, they also, they have, looks like it's easy street for them, it's not quite easy street. We enjoy that a little because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And... I think it's even further as we get so preoccupied with ourselves and so busy with ourselves and so and most of what we think about is in some way relates back to ourselves that therefore anything that can enhance, enhance ourselves that we could use sort of as gives us an edge gets us a little ahead is something that we jump at and so we jump at that moment that we could say something comment something see something that's not so good that I happen to our friend. So I'm going to look at a person who was the opposite of this. At a moment that would be maybe least expected for him to be this way, the person who was the opposite of this and how he did it and what he did at that moment. And that is one pasuk, again, in this week's parasha. Jewish people are about to leave Egypt. Moshe is about to take them out. As we said last week, God gave a commandment after the Jewish people, right before they're going to bring their sacrifice, God gave a commandment to the Jewish people, go to your neighbors and take gold and take silver from all your neighbors and leave this country wealthy. Pasuk says that this is what everybody did. 
Everybody did. Everyone went to their neighbors to get gold and silver and great wealth. Again, this is the first time that they're really going to see and experience not just a little bit of money, but a lot of money. Pasuk says at that time, Moshe Yosef. Moshe went and he took the bones of Yosef because he, the God swore, to, the Jewish people had sworn, saying that Hashem will God is going to remember you and take out my bones when you leave. Yosef made the Jewish people his brothers promise and when they leave they're going to take his bones with them and so therefore Yosef said I have one last piece of business to do I have to take out the bones of Yosef so we're going to analyze this not this C but this we're going to analyze what happened with your, your Moshe what, was, what did Moshe do at that moment and what was the importance and the significance of what he did at that moment to while everybody else was taking gold and silver he was out getting the bones of Yosef so Chachamim comment about this and they say, Chacham lev yikach mitzvot. Look how a wise man goes and grabs mitzvot. Everyone else is running after money. Everyone else is running after gold and silver. And Moshe is running, is going and making an effort to take out the bones of Yosef. That's what Moshe did at that moment. You wear the, what? But they're running after the gold and silver. Beautiful. So our first question is that question. Very good. Is that everyone else is doing a mitzvah too? They were told to go get gold and silver. So why you knock and yourself as if there's something wrong with them? They did everything right too. So what did you, what's your praise to Moshe? He's doing a mitzvah. They're doing a mitzvah. What's the difference between what he did and what they did? That's your question. Okay, very good. Okay, good. We're gonna see, but that's but that question needs to be asked. We'll see. Your answer is basically true, but the question needs to be asked. That. You're talking, you're praising Moshe that he's taking a mitzvah and no one, everyone else is also. That's our first question. Our next question is that it calls him a chacham lev, a wise man. What was so wise? What was so thoughtful? Chacham lev, wise hearted. What was so wise about what he did at that moment? And our third question is, is something interesting. According to some opinions, the Jewish people, when they left, everybody went and took gold and silver. But there was one tribe that didn't take any gold and silver. And that tribe was the tribe of Levi. Because why did Jewish people deserve all this wealth? They deserved it because they worked in Egypt for 210 years, so they earned it to get this wealth. The tribe of Levi never worked in Egypt. Never had to serve in Egypt. We mentioned this a few weeks ago, I believe. Never had to serve in Egypt. And therefore, since they never had to serve, they never deserved this wealth. And therefore, the 11 tribes left Egypt wealthy. One left Egypt with no money. The only person who hushed some of the money, who took money he wasn't supposed to, was Korach. But everyone else in the tribe of Levi didn't take anything. If that's the case, then we have an unbelievable question. What's the big deal about Moshe? Moshe is from the tribe of Levi. So it's no big deal. You didn't take money. Of course you didn't take money. You couldn't. You're from Levi. Levi doesn't take any money. So why are we praising Moshe? That's our question. So there is a little bit of, we'll give you a little bit of uh, some Kabbalah to answer this question. And we'll give you some of the words of the Chachamim. According to Kabbalah, the Paror is like a I don't know how you say a reincarnation of 
Kain. And Moshe is a reincarnation of Hevel. This is known, and they say even Rabbi Akiva was also a reincarnation of Hevel. Moshe, Hevel, Moshe, Hevel, Moshe, and Rabbi Akiva. But forget Rabbi Akiva for a minute. You handle that? You got it? You got it? Cain and Hevel. Those are the two brothers, the first two brothers in world history. Cain got up and he killed his brother Hevel for doing a good thing. He killed his brother Hevel. Moshe Rabenu is a reincarnation of that Hevel and Paro is a reincarnation of that Cain. Ever heard this before? Ever heard this? Okay, you heard it? Recently. You heard it right? Okay, anyhow, that is the... That's how, again, Alti Kabbalah, that's what it... No, no, you don't hear Kabbalah too often. I definitely don't like telling Kabbalah too often, but for this, just to make this point, this is from the Chidah, he makes this point. And so he says that therefore, even though the rest of the tribe of Levi didn't deserve the money, Paro, who was Cain, who was this man who killed his brother, who was evil, to Hevel, who therefore Hevel, when he was leaving Egypt and sort of being a kapara for Hevel, a kapara, he deserved to take the money from Cain. You got that? Cain killed Hevel, and now it was Hevel's payback time. Hevel had a chance to get back, and how is he going to get back? By getting at all the wealth of Egypt. And at that time, when Moshe deserved it, not just as much as the tribe of Levi, not just more than the tribe of Levi, but maybe more than the entire Jewish people. He was their leader, and he was sort of replacing that old event, that Hevel was now getting back at Cain, that Hevel was now going to leave Cain, was going to leave Egypt. Hevel deserved to get the money, and at that moment, Moshe still didn't take it. And that's what was his greatness, was that he deserved it maybe the most. But there's more to the story. You ready to the story? You like when women... Don't you always like when women are key in a big story, in a story? Like, you know, men get a lot of play. Women don't get as much, right? So you like when there's... In this story, there is... In the story of the Jewish people leaving Egypt, there is actually a woman who was critical to the exodus from Egypt. And it's not that famous who she was. This woman was critical to making our people be able to leave. And that's... Right now, Moshe knew that the Jewish people in order to leave had a promise that they were going to have to take out the bones of Yosef. The Gemara in Sotah gives us some detail as to what happened, how this all transpired. But it just says, he went and he got the bones. Where were they? Who had them? How did he know about them? What was the story? So the Gemara has two opinions. One opinion is that Yosef's bones were buried in a great public place. They were buried like a king. He was the second in command, so he was a king, and he was with great fanfare. And he was buried in a place that had sort of golden lions protecting it. Golden, golden dogs, I believe. Golden dogs, excuse me, protecting it. And it says that the Egyptians knew that Yosef made the Jewish people promise that you can't leave until you take me out. So the Egyptians said, you know what, this is a great way to hold them in. What do you do? They put them protected by these golden dogs. And we learned in last week's parasha, the Egyptians knew black magic, they knew kishuf, and they were able to even do some of the plagues. They could make the blood, they could break the frogs. And so they made these dogs vicious, dangerous dogs. And so when anyone would try to come and approach the bones of Yosef, these dogs would bark and would be heard across the whole country, and so it would frighten anybody who would try to come. Again, this was the, the Egyptian insurance policy. 
the Egyptian insurance policy to protect against anybody ever coming and taking the bones of Yosef and therefore they can never leave and it says that Moshe when he approached those dogs Moshe was able to quiet down those dogs as the Pasuk says there's a famous Pasuk it says when the Jewish people left Egypt Obnei Yisrael lo yecheratz kelev leshono did you ever hear this Pasuk? you know that Pasuk that's the dog Pasuk when you see a dog it works you know it works here's the dog let me give it to you it's good you came okay one second there's a Pasuk that they say to say that when when a person sees you know the Pasuk okay here you go when when you see a dog a barking dog they say to say this Pasuk and the Jewish people on that night when the firstborns were killed the Jewish people not one dog barked Simple explanation is that like no one moved. Don't leave early and I'll write it I'll show it for you after we're done, okay? Okay? That's a great one, It works. So most people until today I thought that meant a regular dog. According to some commentaries, what's it referring to? One second, it does mean, but what is it referring to? That what did the Jewish people have, what did the Egyptian have protecting the bones of Yosef? These golden vicious dogs. That night, when the Jewish people wanted to leave Egypt, not one dog barked. Didn't mean just a regular dog in the street. It meant those dogs that were protecting Yosef, those dogs also didn't bark, and that enabled Moshe to go right through the gates, pick up the bones of Yosef, pick up the coffin, and be able to leave Egypt. That's one explanation to what happened. Another explanation to the story is a totally different story. You ready for the different story? Here's another story. Here's where the woman comes in. Okay, here we go. Here we go. It says that Moshe went looking in Egypt, the Gemara says, for three nights. Three days and three nights looking for the bones of Yosef. Because according to this opinion, the Egyptians did the exact opposite. Instead of burying him with great fanfare and making a public scene and putting this protection around, instead, they hid him. And they didn't allow anybody to know where the bones of Yosef were. Moshe knew, I need those bones in order to leave. When did a bank join the class? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, it's a good day to collect the stairs. She's not here, so I'm collecting uh, gift for a gift box. Oh, very nice. Okay. Sorry. Could we just do it right afterwards? Okay. Yeah? Yeah. All right. You are leaving? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. We'll handle afterwards. Good. No problem. No, no problem. It's okay. Okay. Now I'll make sure it gets done. Okay? The... We're done. The, so now, the, like I said, according to this opinion, they did the opposite. Instead of making it a big scene, they hit it. And they hit it, and Moshe was looking for three days and three nights. He can't find it. Where are the bones of Yosef? They hit it from generations early. So one second. But no one knew where they were. Until he went. So what? How did they know? This was a tradition that they had handed down that in order to leave, you need to, to go, you need to get the bones of Yosef. But they didn't know the location. So Moshe knows in order to leave, we need them. So he starts searching the entire Egypt to find them. Until he can't find them, he can't find them. Until he goes to an old woman. Maybe the oldest woman alive at the time. Her name was Serach, the daughter of Asher. 
Serach Bat Asher. Serach Bat Asher, what was her greatness? Is that she was the person who, the Jewish, when the brothers came back from Egypt, after they found out that Yosef was still alive, they went to Serach, and she sang, she played a harp, and she informed Yaakov that Yosef was still alive. And the Zechut, that she was the one, and the merit that she was the one to inform Yaakov that Yosef was still alive, she was blessed that she would not pass away. And so she went straight to Gan Eden, and so she lived for a very, very long time. And so this woman, Serah Bat Asher, was the only remaining woman from generations back from the time of Yaakov. So Moshe went to Serah. Moshe went to Serah Bat Asher, and he asked her, where are the bones of Yosef? I need them to leave. You're the only one who is alive at that time who can get us out, can take care of us. How can you, where are they? And she said, the Egyptians put them, put the bones of Yosef into the Nile River, to the Nilos, either because they wanted the river to be blessed, or because they wanted to hide it from the rest of the Jewish people. And if you go there, that's where they are. And it says that Moshe went and put on a piece of gold, he threw it into the river, that said, Aleshur, the ox should rise, which meant Yosef should rise, and the bones of Yosef rose from the depths of the river. Serah Bat Asher was the one who had the key to get us out of Egypt. How did Moshe know to go to Serah? You ready for this? One more detail. Is that a few months earlier, Moshe came to the Jewish people and said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. How did Moshe, the Jewish people know that Moshe was telling the truth? How do you know Moshe? Maybe he was right, maybe he was wrong. How do you know? And it says the Jewish people were skeptical because like we told you a few weeks ago, the tribe of Ephraim had tried to escape and all got killed. So they weren't that easy to run and they were skeptical. It's like if right now I told you my Shiach's coming tomorrow, you'd be a little skeptical because you've heard it ten times in the past five years. So therefore you're going to say, I don't know if it's really true. So how did the Jewish people know that this time it was true? So the Gemara says that Moshe told them two words. Pakod Pakadati. God remembered you. What were those two words? It says they went to Serah Bat Asher and she told them, it becomes and he tells you these two words, he's the guy. You want to know who the man is? The, the code word to get us out of Egypt, Pakor Pakarati. Moshe went to Serah Bat Asher, excuse me, the Jewish people went to Serah Bat Asher and they, she had the tradition because she was the woman, she was the matriarch. She had the tradition, they went to her, she had the code and that code is what informed the Jewish people that Moshe is the right guy. So Moshe decided now that if I want to know where the bones of Yosef are, who do I go to? The same woman that they went to to verify me, I'm now going to go to to verify where the bones of Yosef was. So she, they, Moshe now went to Serach Bat Asher again and found out where the bones of Yosef So this woman, Serach, was the one who informed Yaakov that Yosef was alive. She was the one sort of who helped us get down to Egypt. She was the one who informed the Jewish people that Moshe was the right person to take us out. And she was the one who, on the day we were going to leave, informed Moshe where the bones of Yosef were. Right? Why would she say this woman now? You like this woman now, right? <laughs> because, the, you know what, maybe this is the reason, I'm just thinking it now, is that the power of the woman in the Torah is not necessarily to be in the forefront. <laughs> what? You're making up a list. No, I don't know. Very good. Oh, really? <laughs> Last thing, I was really knocking men more than women. But the... I should be the, the power of the woman is really 
to be behind the scenes. Is that she's the strength behind the scenes. So Sarah about that no, she was not in the forefront. She didn't lead us out of Egypt. But she was the one in the house in an innocent way, in a simple way, who played a major role in a lot of these in a lot of these events. I don't know. I don't know. This is based the Gemara. The Gemara brings both opinions. It doesn't really matter for today. It's just a matter of each way. Either way, after this whole story, in order for Moshe to get our people out of Egypt, in order for him to retrieve those bones, took a big ordeal. Either running around for a few nights, the night when he was supposed to maybe cash in the most, when he was supposed to get the money because he was, like I said, heavy and supposed to take out cash in the most, when everybody else is preoccupied with getting all that money that they rightfully deserved and that he maybe deserved more than anybody else, he was busy making a great effort and finding ways and strategies to find those bones to take us out of Egypt. When I was thinking about it, why, you know, I had this thought, why, uh, again, don't take this wrong, why, why are New Yorkers not as nice as maybe people who live, like, outside of New York? It's a rush. It's true. <coughs> so once I, I think, I, I find that not only is it true about, like, New Yorkers themselves, I found myself, when I lived in Jersey, I was a nicer person <laughs> than when I lived in Brooklyn. It's really the truth. Like, what happened to me? So here's what happened. So, so one second. So here's what happens. I think the reason is because we're so, is because it's, you have, it's much, it's much more stress living. You have a lot you have to do. You gotta, you can't just, you can't like drive softly. You need to be in a, if you drive softly, you'll be behind one car who's double parked on East 3rd for a month. You'll never move, right? You have to know how to squeeze, right? I never knew the size of my car until I got to Brooklyn. Right? My car fits in my driveway. The first week I got there, I'm like, there's no way I can fit in my car in this driveway. Now I fit two. But because, I just, you find out things and you start because we're so stressed. You think about it. You're behind a light. You're behind someone who's being lazy at a light and deal. So you miss the light. You miss 30 seconds, you get the next light. You're behind someone who missed the light in Brooklyn, right? You miss this light, you know the seven lights that are dependent on this light. You miss all those seven lights, you're going to get 10 minutes late, 10 minutes late to your appointment. You get 10 minutes late, means you're going to be the last one there, it's going to be much harder to park, so therefore you're going to be getting inside 25 minutes, a half hour late, they're going to put you at the end of the line, you're going to get home an hour late, that hour you're supposed to make dinner. So now dinner's not happening. You're making dinner when all the kids are coming home, which means it's going to take two hours instead of a half hour. While you're doing homework, the homework's going to take two hours instead of a half hour. Dinner's going to be served an hour late. Everyone's going to be grouchy. The homework's not going to get done. Kids are going to go to sleep an hour later. And then they're going to wake up a half hour later. They're going to be running out to school tying their sneakers. You are going to honk that horn right now so hard because your whole 24 hours is dependent on that life. So when we become so preoccupied, maybe it's a little exact, but not so much. Okay, is that we become, we become, or it's like, we become. We live in Jersey. When you go for Jersey in summer, don't you get that? Yeah, 100%. When you, we become, and now what happens is we're not really not nice. 
It's not like we don't care about that person who's about to take our parking spot, but we don't have a half hour to circle four times. So if we have an edge, we're in. That's it. I'm sorry. You look like you were thinking about the spot. You didn't take the spot. It's mine. <laughs> the same. But I know it's rude, but like I said, it's not about that we want to put them down and hurt them. It's just that we're so preoccupied and busy with ourselves. Moshe's greatness is that at that moment he wasn't. Is that he was able to think about what the Jewish people need, about the rest of the people when everyone is busy. You know, we're leaving now, we're taking our trip, we're ready to go. We've been here for decades and centuries and now we're ready to go. And Moshe is not thinking about his own self and his own future and his own wealth, deserved wealth. He's thinking about how he can help other people. That's Chacham Lev. The wisdom that he took and the greatness was to be thinking at that one, like this, when everybody else was thinking exactly the, exactly the opposite. The Pasuk says that when the Jewish people got to the, when the Jewish people got to the sea, and the sea was about to split, the Pasuk says, Hayam ra'av ayanos. There's a Pasuk in Halel that we say that the Osh, the sea saw, and ran away. What does sea see and run away? Sachachamim say, what did see? It saw the bones of Yosef. It saw the bones of Yosef and it said, you know what, now it's time for us to split. Now it's time for us to split. Because it saw the sacrifice that Moshe did to take the bones of Yosef out. And it saw how much, how Yosef had helped his brothers get them. And Yosef had forgiven his brothers for everything they had done to him. And they saw what the effort Moshe did to get those bones out. The sea decided then to split. So all that that had happened, what Moshe was doing here, was taking care of the future Jewish people, not his own needs, but everybody else's needs. And that he was going to take those bones that were going to enable them to leave Egypt, and then enable them, the seed to split, and enable the Jewish people to go through and come through to salvation. I think what, like I said, the same reason why we jump sometimes at an opportunity to knock someone else which so become so preoccupied with ourselves and so preoccupied with advancing ourselves and taking care of ourselves and everything takes so long and so hard and you have to become more aggressive than you were because you're in order to get ahead that we then naturally start to knock other people what it really takes to change it is that we don't have to suddenly become nice because we are nice what we have to suddenly do is just change the switch instead of when you wake up in the morning thinking about how am I going to get through this day? What am I going to do this day? How, what's my schedule? What am I going to do? What am I going to take care of? How am I... Think a little bit about what does the world need from me today? You ever wake up in the morning and think that way? That you know what? I'm here. What is... Thank God I'm okay. Relatively okay. What can I do for the world? Was there... You ever think about this? Just think about this. Is there people? If you thought about it, I bet for a minute you would come up with a list of five. Is there somebody you left here today and made a phone call to that person, that they would feel uplifted by the fact that you called them. I don't know, maybe it's a cousin, maybe it's an old friend, maybe it's someone who's going through a tough time. Is there somebody that if you called them today, they would say, wow, I got a phone call, wow. And you called and talked to them for 10 minutes about themselves, nothing to do with you. Spoke to them 10 minutes, I don't know, someone maybe uh, who is older and living alone, it's an older woman person, a grandfather. Is there someone, if they got a phone call from you today, would, it would perk them up and actually change their day? You thinking about it? Coming up with people? Yeah? You got a few? Yeah. You have a few? Why don't we call them? No reason. 
No reason. It's just because uh, I'm doing my own thing. Not because we don't want to call them. We just, we're doing our own thing. If you just decide, you know what? Every day, or every day, call one person that, will, that you know that that phone call will help uplift that person. Give them a nice, positive phone call. One person. You have time? Ten minute phone call? I don't know. In the car? What? It's, it's very easy. It's very easy. It's very easy. Right? Yeah. And if anyone, anyone who would appreciate, anyone who would appreciate, there's a lot of people who appreciate your phone call. Not, you know, your regular, normal, your kids, your sisters. I'm talking about someone a little outside the box. A little bit. Someone a little older. Someone who's a little alone. Someone who's going through a hard time. You call one person every day. Imagine what you... But you know, it's not because... We don't do it not because we're not nice. It's not because we don't care about that person. It's just because we say, you know, there's a million people to call, so forget it. Or, you know what, I'm so busy with myself and I have so many things I have to do that I don't really have time. Not that you really don't have time, but you're, not, you're just not focused on it. The job that it takes is just to think about the fact that there's what does the world need from me today? Instead of what do I need to do today, what does the world need from me today? And you'll be surprised at how many people you can impact by just switching your focus and your mindset. Not by becoming all working on yourself. You don't have to change your character dramatically. Your character is already there. Deep down, you're a nice person. It's just that you're preoccupied and you're not focused on it. Focus on it and it will change. I'm going to tell you one last story. And we'll end. There was a... I read this, I thought it was a nice story. There was a boy who was studying in yeshiva. He was an all-boy yeshiva. And they were... He was... You know, a boy, I believe his name was Kalman. Anyhow, he had a tough go. He wasn't that popular. He didn't study that well. And so, slowly but surely, he was getting more and more depressed. Until he got to the point where he decided that he had enough. He had enough with religion, with Judaism. He was just going to leave the fold entirely. And then he even got more depressed until the point that he was even thinking about suicide. Anyhow, sometime during this process, suddenly one night, you know, when a person is depressed, they're not thinking about anything. One night, finds out all the boys are running and going, what's going on? One of their friends is getting married. So all the boys in the yeshiva are going to go to this friend's wedding. He goes into a room. He closes the door. He says, I'm not going. I don't care. No one cares. No one's going to even notice. No one even knows that I'm here. No one's going to definitely know that I'm there. I'm just not going. Made up his mind. If someone comes to get me, I'll go. But if no one comes, I'm not going. He closed the door. Sat in the room. For a long time, and he just sat there and sat there, and the bus was getting ready, and the boys are running onto the bus, and tears started to well in his eyes, and he realizes no one's coming. The bus is about to leave, and he hears a knock on the door. Gets up, opens the door. It's another boy. His name is Naftali. Naftali opens the door. He says, Common, where are you? We're all waiting for you. Not in the mood to go, but he made a deal with himself. If he calls me, someone comes, I'm going. So he went. Gets on the bus. Goes to the wedding. They all go to the wedding. The bus driver on the way while he's getting there. The bus driver was one of those not in a great mood that night. He said, boys, at 11 o'clock we're leaving. Whoever's here or not here, it doesn't matter. Leaving at 11 o'clock. Note the time. Make sure it's, you got it set. Whatever you watch, your cell phone. 11 o'clock, we're out of here. 
So all the boys go to the wedding, they dance, they sing, beautiful, and they all come back naturally at 11 o'clock. He meant business. All the boys start filing onto the bus, and now it's 11 o'clock. The bus is about to leave, and this boy, Kalman, forgot to come on the bus. So now the bus driver says, I'm going. The boy said, what do you mean? Someone's not here. He's like, I don't care. I told you. Whether you're here or not, I am going. It's 11 o'clock. I'm out of here. He says, there's a boy. Naftali gets up and says, listen, you're not going. He says, I don't care. I am going. Naftali says, fine. If you're going, you're going without me. And Naftali got up and got off the bus. And when the boys saw that he got off the bus, everybody got off the bus. So all the boys in the school got off the bus, way outside. Bus driver was not happy that night revved the engine and drove away and left all these boys standing outside in the middle of the night stranded now all of a sudden Kalman comes running out of the wedding hall and he comes running to his wife and says I'm sorry I forgot and he says boys what are you doing you're all standing here what's going, what's going on so Naftali stuck forward he says the bus driver decided he was leaving and we decided if he's leaving if he's leaving without you he's leaving without all of us too Common went back to the yeshiva that night. Obviously, that night changed the entire focus of his life. That boy, and I'll tell you to this day, doesn't even know what he did. The man stayed in the yeshiva, grew, built a beautiful family. Someone who decided to just, for a second, when everyone's rushing to go, thinking about somebody else. It's not so, it's not so hard. It just takes a change of focus. This week's parashah is the entire Jewish people are running. They're doing a mitzvah. They're filling God's commandment to take the money. There was one man, Moshe Rabbeinu. Maybe this is why he's Moshe Rabbeinu. And this is what made him the greatest leader that ever lived. Is that he was a man that when everyone else was focused on themselves, he was focused on them. Baruch Amen.